so if they don't when they come home, uh, y'all can all go talk to Miss Janae. Uh, so uh, they will be studying, uh, trying, uh, they will be looking at having an attitude of gratitude. <clears throat> well, today uh, we're going, we're in our second week of our five week series. Last week uh, we looked at Sola Gratia, uh, Grace Alone. Uh, there were five solas that came out of the Reformation, five principles that came out of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, we are celebrating this year the 500-year anniversary. Uh, that's a long time. Uh, the 500-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. Uh, in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the castle uh, in Wittenberg, Germany, where he was studying uh, in the monastery. Uh, you know, what's, what's interesting, just a just little bit of trivia, little known, even less cared about knowledge, uh, the 95 Thesis that Martin Luther nailed to the door of the castle in Wittenberg, Germany, was not the first protest that, that, that he wrote against the uh, corruption of the Roman Catholic Church. It was actually the second. But the first time he wrote these, these theses, nobody cared. And, and he, he tried to uh, disseminate them throughout, the, uh, throughout the, the seminary and the monastery there. And, and no one read it. No one cared. And so this time he took it to the bulletin board. And he nailed it on the door of the castle. And he said, look, this is, this is a big deal. And, and it's important for us to realize that, that, this, that, that Martin Luther wasn't doing anything uh, groundbreaking. Uh, someone by the name of John Huss, about 100 years earlier, had already begun this, this uh, indictment of the, the systematic corruption within the church and the, uh, the, the, the selling of offices uh, for, for political and uh, monetary gain. And so there, were, there was a, a tremendous amount of, of, of upheaval that, that, was, that was going on in the medieval times. And the difference was was that there was a man by the name of Johann Gutenberg that invented something that was kind of important called the printing press. And the printing press allowed for the 95 theses that were nailed to the door of the Catholic castle in Wittenberg, Germany, as well as many of the other, uh, um, many of the other publications to be printed and to be widely distributed, which led to the Protestant Reformation. The first thing that Gutenberg printed on his printing press was the Bible. In the common vernacular, which for thousands of years the church had not had. And when Martin Luther and the other, and John Huss and and the other reformers got a hold of the Bible. They read Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. And in Jerome's Vulgate, which was the only form of the only translation of the Bible that, that the Catholic priest had for for hundreds, maybe even a thousand years, from 400 A.D. to, to 1500, that, that the, only, the only translation of the Bible they had was Jerome's Latin Vulgate, which was never translated 
to be a scholarly translation. Jerome sat at, Jerome knew Latin, and he sat with the Greek translation, and or, sorry, with the Greek manuscripts, and he, he translated it from Greek to Latin because Latin was the common language of the people at the time. And so it was only, it was, it was for Jerome's personal reading. He said, it's easier for me to read in Latin than it is for me to read in Greek, and so I'm going to translate the Word of God into Latin for myself. And then Jerome dies, and all of a sudden, the Latin Vulgate becomes the scholarly work for the Roman Catholic Church for a thousand years. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 and 38, I want you to read how it would have been read uh, in Jerome's Latin Vulgate. It says, now when they heard this, this being the people, after Peter's sermon, now when they heard this, they were piercing their heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? So, so this is how the, the Roman Catholic Church for a thousand years would have heard this. And I, I'm saying this because I, I think that the Roman Catholic Church for, for many reasons gets, gets vilified here. And I want to point out to you that it's not always their fault. They, they, had, they had bad scholarship that, they, that these priests were reading. So, so they read in Jerome's Latin Vulgate, that when they heard the gospel message, that they came to Peter and they said, what must we do? And this is what Jerome's Latin Vulgate said. We read, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and let each, man, and let each one among you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins so that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jerome's Latin Vulgate didn't say repent. It said do penance. Well, if I'm a Catholic priest, the only thing I have to read is Jerome's Latin Vulgate, and I say, and I read, what must we do to be saved? What must we do? And I read, do penance. Well, then what am I going to teach? Do penance. Go to confession. Receive the Eucharist. Say Hail Mary. Say Our Fathers. Do penance and believe. And then all of a sudden, scholarship comes west. John Huss. Martin Luther and John Calvin and Zwingli, they, they, they get a hold of these manuscripts and they say, wait a second. When Jerome said do penance, that, that's not what the word means. The word is metaneo. The word is, is to change your, your way of thinking, to change your mind, to repent, not do penance. And so, they also read passages like Romans chapter 1, verse 17, where it says, for in the righteousness, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, and it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The same thing is written in Galatians chapter 3. Now that no one is justified by the law before God, for it is evident the righteous shall live by faith. And, and Martin Luther read, read, the just shall live by faith, the righteous shall live by faith, and said, it is by faith alone that salvation comes. And so out of the Protestant Reformation, we get this principle of Christianity, this, this foundational principle that was there all along. It was there in the, in, the, in the Nicene Creed. It was there in the Apostles' Creed. It was lost during the, the corruption of the Middle Ages. And it is recovered. It is recovered that faith alone brings salvation. So, If you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to turn to the book of Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look at this very foundational biblical principle. I want to remind us 
that the Protestant Reformation is not an indictment upon the Catholic Church. It is not. The Roman Catholic Church, just like many institutions, is full of sinful people. And because of sin, corruption and and evil enters this world. And so I want us to be very careful as as Baptists, as Protestants, that that we, we are careful not to vilify the Roman Catholic Church. And especially not to vilify and not to, not to lump Catholics into this, this, this world of, okay, well, we believe rightly and they believe wrongly because that is, that is completely antithetical to, to what Jesus teaches. Jesus says that we are to, to love and show compassion and grace and mercy. And, but by the grace of God, there go I. And so we must understand that, that the Reformation was not an indictment upon Roman Catholics. That Martin Luther never intended to leave the church. He wanted to fix the corruption within the church. He wanted to, to, to deal with, with a lot of the, the, the sinful things that were going on at the time, the selling of indulgences, all those things. And, and, and so I want us to, to, to be sure that we recognize that. This is not an indictment upon Roman Catholicism. Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through 43. <clears throat> and it came about that as he was approaching Jericho, a certain blind man was sitting by the road begging. And hearing the multitude going by, he began to inquire what this might be. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. And those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he had come near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. When all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. Let's pray. God, as we read your word, Lord, may we be able to recover this biblical principle that we are saved by faith alone. Lord, may we see Jesus as the object of our faith. May we be encouraged to live a life of faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John, uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 35. There's a blind man sitting by the roadside, and I want to point out to us that faith is never blind. You've heard the statement, By blind faith they trusted. True faith, salvific faith, faith that is efficacious unto salvation is never blind. I have faith, 100% faith, that my wife will remain faithful to me throughout my marriage. Why do I have that faith? Because for 15 years we've been married 
and she has given me evidence that she loves me, is faithful to me, that she honors me, that she cherishes me. And so my faith is not based upon uh, some, some pie-in-the-sky idea. My faith is based upon evidence. The Scripture says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, as it defines faith, it says, Faith is the assurance of what we hope for and the evidence or the conviction of what we cannot see. Many of you have a, a New International Version or a New King James Version, and it says faith is the assurance of what is hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Conviction, the evidence of what we cannot see. Just because we cannot see it does not mean that there is not evidence that, that demonstrates that it is true. And that's exactly what we see with blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the side of the road. Now, by all accounts, he is blind. I mean, the, the, the little subtitle in your Bible probably says, Blind Bartimaeus. The scripture tells us that there was a blind man sitting by the side of the road. It tells us that he was blind, and, and he heard the commotion, and he asked, he said, well, what's going on? And so they told him, they said, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, Jesus of Nazareth meant something to Blind Bartimaeus. Why? Because his, this, is, this is toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he has, he has been serving and ministering in and around the region of Galilee and Capernaum for three years. Blind Bartimaeus is sitting probably on the roadside between Galilee and, and Jerusalem, right outside of Jericho. As he's passing by, he hears about Jesus. He has heard about the things that Jesus has done. He has heard that this is the man who has taken five loaves of bread and two fish and fed the thousands. He has heard that this is the man who has raised the dead. He has heard that this is the man who has cast out demons. He has heard that this is the man that who has stopped up a woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. He has heard that this is the man who healed the lame when he was lowered down out of the, the, through the ceiling that Jesus said, in order that you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, rise and walk. Blind Bartimaeus has heard that this is the man who walked on water. He has heard all of the things about Jesus, and he is convinced because of the evidence that this is the Messiah. Notice Bartimaeus' response. Look at chapter 18, verse 38. Verse 36, I'm sorry, <clears throat> verse 37, they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. Verse 38, Bartimaeus responds, and says, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Well, they didn't tell him it was the Son of David. Who did they tell him was coming? Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, Ah, I know that guy. That guy is the Messiah. When we see the word Son of David, we must understand that it is a messianic claim. That there was prophecy in the book of Isaiah, there was prophecy in, in the minor prophets in Amos and in Joel that, that the scripture says that through the lineage of David, through the line of David, that the Messiah would come. That the one who would deliver Israel from their sins, the one who would deliver Israel from bondage. And so when we see the term son of David, it is a messianic claim. It is a title given to Jesus that is not based upon where he is from. It is not based upon, uh, upon the town he grew up in. It is based upon the prophecy of Jesus as the Messiah. And so whenever Bartimaeus makes this statement, it is a statement of faith. 
based upon evidence. Our faith is always based upon evidence. Bartimaeus said, I know this is the Messiah. I believe, I am assured of that which I hope for, and I am convinced I have evidence for that which I cannot see, literally. I believe this man to be the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy upon me. So it's important we understand that faith is never blind. Secondly, it's important that we understand that faith is persistent, even in the midst of opposition, rebuke, and ridicule. Notice what the text says. Verse 39. Those who led the way, probably Peter, James, John, probably those who were most faithful, they told Bartimaeus, sit down and shut up. Isn't it interesting? The faithful, the one who is speaking the truth, was told to sit down and shut up. So many times, we do the exact same thing. Those who are the voice of God, those who are speaking the truth, are told to sit down and shut up. Nobody wants to listen to you. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. But faith is persistent. The reason that Bartimaeus could speak with such faith was because he was aware of the compassion of Jesus. He said, though you may tell me to be to, to sit down and be quiet, though you may ridicule me, you may rebuke me, you may try and silence me, I know that that man, the son of David, is a man of compassion, is a man of grace, is a man of mercy. I heard about what he did to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And he said, neither then do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I heard of his great grace and his great compassion when the children came to him. And he said, suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. I have heard what he has done to Zacchaeus. I have heard how he has responded to those who are broken, those who are outcasts, those who don't deserve grace. And because I know because I believe, because of the evidence, I have faith that this man will hear me. Son of David, have mercy upon me. He cried out even louder, all the more. Faith is persistent even in the midst of ridicule, rebuke, and correction. Faith, based upon evidence, not blind faith, faith is persistent. And it's interesting, the text tells us Faith brings salvation. I want us to look at the the language here. Look at verse 42. He asked Jesus, I'm sorry, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do? And he was very, very, very plain and very clear. He said, I want to see. I want to regain my sight. And Jesus responded, Jesus responded, verse 42, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. How many of you in your Bibles has a little note, a little asterisk, a little letter or number above the phrase, made you well? Does anybody's Bible have a little note or an asterisk or anything like that? No, nobody's? Nobody's? 
Mine does. If you go back and you look at the Greek, this phrase, made you well, is not made you well. It's not, not how it should be translated. The Greek word, the Greek word is so-so. And it means to be saved or salvation. And so what Jesus told the man, whenever he said, I want to see, Jesus said, receive your sight for your faith has saved you. Well, what did it save him from? Yes, it was made well. Yes, he was healed. What did, what did being, being healed of his blindness, what, what was that salvation from? We must understand the culture in the first, the first Christian century in the ancient Near East. If you were blind, you could not work. That meant you had no means of, of income. That means you were, you were destined to live a life of poverty. You were, you were considered by the rest of the world to be condemned by God. You were considered to be an outcast. You were considered to be, to be someone who, who was paying for either his sin or his father's sin. Remember the story when the blind man was, was blind from birth and Jesus was in the synagogue and, and they were questioning Jesus, is this man being punished for his sins or for the sins of his father? That was the mindset of the people, that if you were struck with, with a physical disability, that it was because you were a sinner. It was because you were condemned of God, because God hated you. And that's why you were suffering with, with this calamity. That's why you were suffering with this physical ail, uh, ailment or this, this physical impediment. And so Jesus, when he heals him, he saves him from a life of poverty. He saves him from a life of, of, of alienation, a life of outcast, a life of, of, of being considered the, the reproach and the refuge of, of the world. When Jesus gives this man his sight, he literally gives him life. All of a sudden, he can have a job. All of a sudden, he can, he can marry and have a family. All of a sudden, he can provide for his family. All of a sudden, he can, he can have a community of friends and loved ones and people that, 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 that he can socialize with. He is saved. There's salvation. Faith brings about salvation. His healing for him was salvation. But I want to point out something that, that, that I don't want us to miss. The scripture says in verse 42 that Jesus made the statement, receive your sight, your faith has made you well, or your faith has saved you. And then the very next verse, it says immediately, immediately he regained his sight. Immediately. Now, let me ask this question. And this is a rhetorical question. What was it that actually healed this man? Was it the belief that he would be healed? Everybody say, no. It was Jesus. I want us to understand this. This man's belief did not heal him. It did not save him. It was Jesus who gave this man his sight. It was Jesus who gave this man salvation. It was Jesus who healed this man. Our faith, church, and hear me well, 
Our faith is only as good as the object of our faith. As this man cried out, Son of David, have mercy upon him. He was placing his faith in the only one who is worthy to, be, to have faith placed in. He was placing his faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone. He knew that there is only the only hope for me to gain my sight. The only hope for my life to be changed. The only hope for me to be taken out of this bondage, taken out of this circumstance and situation I'm in, is Jesus. The only way. And I believe that many of us within the church, we have faith, sincere faith, but our faith is placed in the wrong thing. We have faith in our faith. We have faith in the church. We have faith in our righteousness. We have faith in in our knowledge of God's Word. We have faith in in the religion, in the the acts of righteousness. We have faith in, in baptism. We have faith in the ordinances. We have faith in the wrong thing. Whenever Martin Luther said, the just shall live by faith, he was absolutely 100% right. But faith in what? Faith in Jesus. And in Jesus alone. Hear me well, church. Salvation is Jesus plus nothing. Not Jesus plus good works. Not Jesus plus church attendance. Not Jesus plus offering and tithing. Not Jesus plus baptism. Not Jesus plus communion. Not Jesus plus anything. It is Jesus. Period. Salvation is Jesus. His death, His burial, His resurrection. He paid the penalty that was due you and I. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose from the grave and put to death the sentence, the condemnation of sin. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is no longer paying the penalty of sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Not for those who are Baptist. Not for those who who have been baptized. Not for those who come to church. Not for those who serve in fall festival. For though there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, the question is, how are we in Christ? Through faith. Through faith. Faith brings salvation, but salvation is through Jesus. I want us to understand that. Faith brings salvation. Faith is the the mechanism for salvation. But the object of faith is Jesus. And only Jesus. Faith brings salvation. And I want us to see this in the text. Faith is always, always, always accompanied by works. Story of Zacchaeus. Jesus said, come down Zacchaeus for today I'm going to your house. Jesus Jesus offered a relationship to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus said what? He said, I'm going to return all that I have defrauded. Faith that brought about salvation is always accompanied by works. Same thing here in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. And immediately, verse 43, immediately he regained his sight and began what? Following him. The salvation, the healing, the redemptive work was immediately followed by the work of following Jesus. Following Jesus did not bring about salvation. Jesus brought about salvation. The faith in Christ was a 
response to Jesus' love, compassion, grace, to the evidence of who he was, and it naturally brought about good works. James says it like this in James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. He says, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself, verse 18. He says, but someone may well, may well say to you, I have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10. Everybody knows 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourself as a gift of God. I want us to back up one second, Chris. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And what is not of yourself? The faith. Faith itself is a gift of God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourself is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no man can boast. And so we will say that, that, see, it's by faith alone that we are saved. And you are absolutely right. But look at the very next verse. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Why? Faith is always accompanied by works. God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in Him. Bartimaeus received salvation through faith and immediately began good works. His works didn't give him his sight. Jesus gave him his sight. But because Jesus gave him his sight, he responded with good works. Faith is always accompanied by works. And we will demonstrate the gospel by the way that we live. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Sorry, Chris. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We just, we just unpacked this passage that, that, that the only way we come to Christ is through faith. And so for those of us who are in Christ, have come to Christ by faith. The evidence is there. So we believe, we trust in who Jesus is and what He has done. We come to Christ in faith. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And if we keep reading, it says, Now all these things are from God. Even the faith, even the new work, even the the, the good things that we do. All these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Look at verse 20. Therefore, because God has worked in us, because God has given us faith, because God has has begun this transforming work in us, we are ambassadors for Christ. How do we do that? Through good works. Through kindness. Through compassion. Through service. Through love. We need to be reminded that faith is only as good as the object that it's in. There are many of us who have friends, co-workers, 
loved ones who are sincere in their faith. And they are sincerely wrong. And at the end of the day, they have faith, but they're going to die and spend an eternity in a Christless hell because their faith is placed in the wrong thing. Their faith is placed in a denomination or church. Their faith is placed in a man or an institution. Their faith is placed in their goodness and their ability to to be a good person. And they're going to die and stand before a holy God who's going to ask them one simple question. What have you done with Jesus? Because our salvation is in Christ and Christ alone. We receive that salvation through faith in what He has done. That God saw the plight of all of us. He said we all stand condemned. Romans chapter 3, for God, for all have sinned to come short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6, for the wages of that sin is death. Romans chapter 5, that God demonstrated His great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, while we deserved death, that God sent His Son. God demonstrated His great love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In the rest of Romans chapter 6, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And it says in Romans chapter 10 that all of those who call upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. And the only way we call upon the name of Jesus is through faith. The evidence of what we cannot see. Salvation is by faith alone. Faith in what? In Jesus. Not in our church. Not in our good works. But faith is always accompanied by good works. This morning, as we close, I want to ask you to be honest with yourself. Where is your faith? Is your faith placed in, in what you can do or in what Christ has done for you? Is your faith placed in your own morality? Is your faith placed in your faith? You know, Steve gave an interview at Anchor Chapel right before he passed away. And he said, my faith is based upon an outlook, not an outcome. If the outcome you get, if you don't get the outcome you want, does it change your faith? If your faith is placed in Jesus, it doesn't. Because you trust, just like Job, though he slay me, I will put my hope in him. Though things don't work out the way I want them to, though though my loved ones die, my faith is based upon Jesus, and my faith is based upon an outlook, not on an outcome. Where is your faith place? If it's in anything but Jesus then you are sincerely wrong. And I pray that God would speak to your heart and convince you of the evidence that Jesus is the only way.
John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are the only way. We thank you that you have given us a way of escape, that you have given us a way of salvation, and that is through Jesus. God, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people this morning. Lord, there are those of us who are sincere and genuine and striving to earn our way into heaven, to earn our way into glory. And this morning, you revealed to our hearts that there's nothing that we can do because Jesus has already done it. Maybe this morning you've placed your faith in the wrong thing. God has revealed to you this morning that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And you need to come and give your life to Jesus. Maybe this morning you realize and you've been convicted that that my faith must be accompanied by works. Not because it'll bring me salvation, but because that's how God created me to be. He created me to serve and love and give because I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of what He's doing right here in this local community at Redeemer. Maybe God is calling you to follow Him in obedience by being baptized. Whatever the Lord is speaking to your heart, may today be the day of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray.